Weddings, college graduations, your stepmom placing third in a dog grooming competition. We've all got reasons to gift this summer, so give them something they'll love, drinks. And get them all from Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop local stores and compare prices on beer, wine, spirits, then get them delivered in time for your summer celebrations. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Ding dong, it's Drizzly. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. Hi folks, it's Rick Wilson, and welcome to The Enemies List. My guest today is Tia Mitchell, the Washington correspondent of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And Tia is not only a friend from our days in Florida, but she is also one of the smartest and most astute observers of Georgia politics you can find. She is going to help us break down the Georgia runoff, explain how Raphael Warnock built a coalition that won in a pretty red state, and how the Georgia Democrats can learn some lessons from the turnout operation that was built to defeat Herschel Walker. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list. Democrats want Republicans dead. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. You're the president of the United States. You can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. (laughs) I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. Tia, thank you so much for coming on The Enemies List with us today. And the big story in American politics is, of course, the Georgia runoff. And as it has wrapped up, uh, we have seen... Reverend Warnock uh, narrowly defeat um, uh, Herschel Walker once again. Uh, And I wanted to get your take on this because you're one of the most knowledgeable folks who follows Georgia politics uh, in the country. And I mean, I guess the question that everybody is asking is a sort of weird twofold question. On the one hand, how did Reverend Warnock pull it off? And on the other hand, given who Herschel Walker was as a candidate, why was it so close? Okay, so how did Reverend Warnock pull it off? I think, particularly when we focus on the runoff campaign, Mm -hmm. is Reverend Walker was really strategic in, A, uh, framing Herschel Walker as a uniquely bad candidate. He used the words competence and character repeatedly on the stump, starting with his first speech the day after the November election when he launched his runoff campaign. So, you know, he really worked to frame Herschel Walker in a way that to say he's not just problematic for Democrats, he's problematic for people in the middle, Republicans, you know, and then he cut ads and had surrogates that all reinforced this framing of Herschel Walker. And then B, I think what Warnock did really well is, you know, both campaigns would say the runoff is about turnout. It's about speaking to your base and trying your best to, you know, expand your level of support. Both campaigns said that, but only one campaign appeared to be strategic in executing that. So Warnock was having events with black male voters Black women voters. He visited several college campuses to speak to young voters. He had um, events with the Asian American Pacific Islander community. 
Um, he had events with the unions and the labor organizations. And then he had Dave Matthews to come down to make sure those white superb, suburban voters also felt they were had a place in the Warnock campaign. Wait, white and suburban just, voters it, like Dave Matthews? I'm shocked by this news. I, <laughs> yes. I, you know, it's probably, you know, I know that he really speaks to the hip hop community normally, <laughs> but for whatever reason. But, you know, and and so... For Warnock, he was he was able to build a coalition that, yes, was still his base, but was broad and people could see different ways he was speaking to different segments of his of his of his network. Mm -hmm. Whereas Herschel Walker literally did the same event in the same speech over and over again, no different than the general election. Mm -hmm. The only thing that changed was the venue, you know, but he went to conservative areas. He spoke to conservative, mostly white audiences. He spoke in ways that didn't appeal beyond conservatives. You know, every speech he was attacking trans athletes. Um, Every speech he was attacking Joe Biden. Every speech he was making claims about Raphael Warnock that were often not rooted in the truth or that, you know, were were very, were the conservative spin on Warnock's record. And so he just didn't, he didn't really try to make inroads, even with those parts of the population that are open to voting with Republicans. We mm -hmm. know black men are more likely than black women to vote for Republicans. Absolutely. We know Latinos are starting to take a look at Republicans. Yep. What Herschel Walker would do was have a black person give a prayer at this otherwise normal speech, normal campaign event, or have a person give a prayer in Spanish at his otherwise routine campaign event. And that was the extent of his outreach to black or Latino voters. Mm -hmm. I, I think in some ways it was, you know, Herschel Walker was running a, a campaign from 10 years ago where in Georgia, if you were a Republican, you could get by with just getting the base vote and you could sc scoot over the line with just the base vote. But while it's not a, while it's not a blue state yet, it's getting purple, uh, I think in a hurry. And I, and I think that was, I think you're right. I think Warnock's appeal to some of the softer Kemp voters and, and folks like that, it seems to have really built that, that coalition, you know, just enough to get him over the, over the goal line. Yeah. And it also didn't help that I think Herschel Walker thought he could just speak to his base, get them really excited about him and that turnout would carry him over without Democrats or people in the middle. I think that's what he and his advisors assumed. But even then, here's why that's tough. Republicans were very focused on election day. We know that Trump cast doubt on early voting, mm -hmm. cast doubt on voting by mail. Mm -hmm. So now you're not only relying on your base, but you're relying on their, your base to turn out on one particular day, which is risky. One bite of the um, apple. Yeah, it's just, it, yeah, it's just one bite of the apple. And I think that also didn't really serve him well. Right. And I, I, th I think that's, I think that's right. And and I, I'm curious what you think the, the, the effect of, and it strikes me, and I want, I want to get your opinion, that Democrats have sort of started to find ways to work around some of the new voting restrictions in Georgia. How do you think that the, the new voting laws played both in November in the general election and in the runoff? Yeah, Democrats, and that's something I feel like we saw, you know, in 2018 when Stacey Abrams ran for governor and she was close. Mm -hmm. She did not win, but she got really close, much closer than she got this year. And 
after the race was over, she raised all these concerns about how elections were carried out in Georgia. You know, she famously wouldn't use the word concede, not because she didn't say she lost. She admitted she lost, but she said she felt that the the way the election was conducted worked against her. And we saw her launch new organizations, work with grassroots organizations, work with the party itself to not only try to address the laws through lawsuits or even actively working with Republicans that control the state. You know, Brad Raffensperger, you know, signed an agreement to say, here's what we'll do differently when it comes to absentee voting as a result of some of the concerns raised after 2018. But they also adjusted. And that's part of the reason why Democrats were so successful in 2020. They got some agreements and some assurances. Mm -hmm. But they also said, here's what we know is the framework that we have to work in. How do we do it? They ramped up their outreach when it came to voting by mail. That was an adjustment they made into 2020 and it paid off. It paid off in the 2021 runoffs, and then Republicans changed the rules again. The grassroots organizations in the Democratic Party adjusted again. So the law said you can't give people food or water within 150 feet of a polling place. They literally went to 160 feet (laughs) and had huge tents with all the food and water and DJs. Uh, That was something we saw in November. Uh, and, And it's not just the The party, it's all these grass. That's the other factor that I think really helped Warnock. Yes, there were grassroots organizations helping Republican, helping Herschel Walker. He got Brian Kemp's ground game. Kelly Leffler's organization has a ground game. But it paled in comparison to all the groups working to elect Warnock. And those groups also adjusted to the new rules. Support for Rick Wilson's The Enemies List comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Wilson. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Wilson. Odoo, modern management made simple. I think that's, I think that's a really good observation that, that these, these voting restrictions don't have to be a political death sentence for people. They don't have to be, um, you know, they don't have to be the apocalypse. And I think that, I think Georgia's probably a really good example of that for, for other states. I mean, and, and I think, in some ways for Democrats, Donald Trump right now is the gift that keeps on giving because you and I, you and I met when you were in Florida and, you know, we knew in Florida politics, the Republican secret weapon was early voting. They would roll up all that early vote and, and do it by mail and absentee. And now every time Trump opens his mouth, it's like, this is bad. This is fraud. This is fake. It's dangerous. So I I think that's, I think that's a good observation that they, they've shown a path, I think for the country, where, where folks that are worried about these restrictions, you know, don't stop fighting them in court, but you also can beat them on the ground. Yeah, I think so. I think, and I think what Democrats work hard to do in Georgia is to say, just because we're able to work around them and be successful doesn't mean they're still not problematic on their face. We saw Reverend Warnock address that in his election mm-hmm. night party mm-hmm. on Tuesday 
that's something that people like Stacey Abrams, people like Nakima Williams, who's not only a member of Congress, but the head of the Democratic Party of Georgia, you know, they say that they say these are tactics meant to make it harder to vote. Senate Bill 202 made it tougher to vote in ways that in a close election could be problematic. So we're going to call that out, but we're still going to do what we can to blunt its impact. Right. I, I, I think that's right. Um, so Brian Kemp, who did very well in his in his governor's race this year, uh, Stacey Abrams fell short of, I, I think, a lot of expectations. And I and that's probably a whole separate that's probably a whole separate show to talk about why that happened. But Brian Kemp sure waited till the last minute to do the very, very, very minimum he could for for Walker. Do you think that's because he's got like future ambitions, or did he just not want to get in with a, a candidate who was on the on the on the you know on the way down, or or you think it's an extension of his like long running beef with Donald Trump? So I, I agree with what you say about like a whole nother podcast about Stacey Abrams, um, which is so nuanced and complicated. Yeah. But there are real criticisms into how she conducted her second run for governor. Um, On Brian Kemp's side, I think during the general election, it wasn't just Herschel Walker that was problematic for Brian Kemp. The lieutenant governor, the new lieutenant governor, Burt Jones, was one of the quote unquote fake electors in Georgia. Mm -hmm. He's the only kind of Trump acolyte who won statewide in Georgia. But Kemp couldn't campaign alongside a fake elector when part of his brand was standing up to Donald Trump. Kemp couldn't campaign with Herschel Walker when part of his brand, part of his election strategy was kind of allowing himself to reap the benefits of the sheen of being someone who was anti-Trump and willing to, you know, buck party line. And it gave him a sheen of being a moderate that is not reflected in his actual politics. As a listener to this podcast, you know democracy is in danger in America and beyond. This titanic challenge requires a powerful response, and that's why Resolute Square was founded. The Enemies List is part of the Resolute Square family. We're a pro-democracy network. The Enemies List is just one part of Resolute Square's pro-democracy content and coverage. Our members get particularly exciting benefits. Exclusive live roundtable discussions with me, Joe Trippi, Reed Galen, Stuart Stevens, and Tara Setmayer. In those discussions, you can ask us questions directly, as if you are in the room at a campaign strategy session. In these sessions, we'll give folks answers on how to fight back against the crazy, how to push back against the MAGA media, and how to communicate effectively in the battle for our democracy. We're building a new arsenal for democracy, and we could use your support. Head over to ResoluteSquare.com to let the world know where you stand. Everybody's got a morning ritual. I know I do. And I want to feel like I'm getting my day going. I want to feel like I'm moving. And more than coffee sometimes, it's making sure you're clean, squared away, put together. You can get your day started by upping your shave game with Harry's sleekest razor yet, the craft handle. I like to use it because I've got to shave this giant dome of mine every day. So I got to keep it shiny. I have a beard, but I keep my neck clean front and back, do all the miscellaneous trimming. And the new craft handle, it actually is a lot more precision, at least that I found, with the new grip. I really like it a lot. You'll be getting quality shaving for a really amazing price. For now, they're offering the craft handle starter set for 10 bucks. 
It's a $17 value. So this is something you really should try. And if you don't like it, it's on them, guys. They stand behind the product. They guarantee it. How can you get a hold of the craft handle, the latest, greatest from Harry's? It's simple. Get it delivered to your door for 10 bucks at harrys.com slash enemies list. That's harrys.com slash enemies list. Since his fight with Trump, I think a lot of a lot of folks have given him more the benefit of the doubt than I think he deserves. Because right. this is not some guy who is uh, who is sitting around waiting for the, waiting for Trump to just disappear. Um, he's 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 a pretty far far right guy, um, even for yeah. Georgia. And I think I think you're right. I think that strategy was to basically say, say to voters in that you know donut of counties around Atlanta to say I'm not that crazy. I'm not like those right. guys, and I'm not that Trump. I'm not like those guys. I'm not all in for Trump. Which I mean, you're right. He would not call a special session. He resisted some of that pressure. And I think, you know, he should reap the rewards of that. But I think he used that to his advantage to reap additional rewards beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, once he won, it was clear that there were national Republican figures leaning on him to do more for Herschel Walker because we know nationally even if Herschel Walker wasn't the preferred candidate, he was the candidate they had. And Republicans wanted that seat. They wanted Herschel Walker to win, not necessarily because they think Herschel Walker's so great, but that 50th Senate seat was right. something they really Absolutely. wanted. And I think once they leaned on Brian Kemp, because, you know, you know, covering politics, I don't know if Brian Kemp necessarily has his political career mapped out, but. He wants to keep his options open, if anything else, which means he can't piss off the party leaders. And um, he's got to put in, he's got to check the boxes. Yeah, he had to put some work And so in. he checked the boxes. Yeah. I'd- he gave his ground game to Herschel Walker, although Mitch McConnell had to pay for it. But <laughs> Brian Kemp said, I'll give it to you. That's- he campaigned once publicly, mm-hmm. only once, mm-hmm. but he did it once. He checked the box. He cut some ads, you know, he helped raise some money. And so no one can. And also, I think that keeps people from blaming it on him. Now that Herschel Walker has lost, they can't put it on Kemp. They can't say if only Brian Kemp had done more to help bring Herschel Walker along to help get his voters to support Herschel Walker. He did that. And Herschel Walker still yeah, lost. Yeah. You know, um, I noticed one of the things about Georgia is that that there was over three hundred million dollars spent uh, mostly on broadcast and cable television in that state. Uh, two things. One, are you relieved you're not going to have to watch 5 million ads a day now? Um, and two, do you think it moved the numbers? Because I don't think it was really, I never sensed the ad war was was changing the ball game there as much as people would have would have hoped at that level of spending. So it's interesting you asked me that. You know, I'm based in mm-hmm. Washington, but I stream right. my TV so my TV is set up. It exactly. thinks I live in Atlanta. So I do get all the ads. And I know that in general, Georgia voters were like, give us a break. All the ads and not just the ads on your TV. When you open up your device, there are ads everywhere and you're getting text messages and all the emails. <laughs> and so Georgia voters were very burnt out, although still very engaged. I don't necessarily think the ad wars move the needle considerably other than 
They were another part of Raphael Warnock's strategy to speak to the middle, to brand Herschel Walker as problematic and brand Raphael Warnock as someone who is like agreeable, even if you don't agree with his politics, that you believe he's a decent man. Mm -hmm. So he rolled the beagle back out, but he also did that really, really good ad where it was literally just voters reacting to watching snippets Mm -hmm. of Herschel Walker's stump speech. And what that did was it didn't break any new ground, but it was the same conversations that voters were having in their normal lives about, can you believe that werewolves and vampires and (laughs) what is he talking about? You know? So that ad was very successful. We just, the AJC, my colleague, Shannon McCaffrey just wrote an article today about the guy who was behind Warnock's ads uh, because he does get so much praise for really having impactful ads that even Republicans would say, wow, Warnock, those ads are great. Yeah, I think I think I think Warnock's ads were on an order of magnitude better, just in in, in quality than than Walker's, um, and and Walker's attack ads looked like sort of like circa two thousand and five, like standard TV cable attack Republican attack ads, like liberal communist, you know, Raphael Warnock. He's a dangerous liberal who's too liberal for Georgia. Yeah, that's sort of, it just they they were not well crafted. They were not well done. Um, but I mean, at this point, they could have gone out and bought TV stations for the amount of money they spent. <laughs> yeah, and I also think Walker struggled to find lines of attack that stuck for Warnock. Right. There were two major lines of attack. One was that you know Warnock had this messy mm-hmm. divorce, and at one point, his ex wife called the police. accused him of running over her foot as they kind of argued during the exchange of children one morning and police were called and said, we don't see any visible injuries. We, we don't have anything to go on, but they, there was body camera footage and that ad didn't stick because Walker has been (laughs) accused of holding a gun to his ex-wife's head and his own son was on record calling him an right. abuser. So it was like it was hard to get voters more enraged about Warnock than they are about Walker <laughs> on the same playing field. And then the other line of attack was, you know, um, Raphael Warnock is the pastor of a historic church, mm-hmm. Ebenezer Baptist Church. And it's a church in a, a older yep. neighborhood in Atlanta. And they kind of are part owners of this low mm-hmm. income housing that was part of their outreach. But just like any other place of low income housing, there are issues. It's not the Ritz Carlton. Right. And also people get evicted when they don't pay their rent. And Herschel Walker and really like conservative media, you know, the kinds that kind of aren't the most reputable journalism sources, try to make a huge deal about Warnock being a slumlord. But that didn't stick either because The church doesn't manage the apartment building. The church just kind of is one of the owners. And also the apartment building was like, we haven't evicted anybody for two years. You know, so it was just no, there wasn't enough there, there for that. But what amazes me, Tia, is that they tried the same exact ads in 2020 and they didn't work. I mean, I, I can't imagine what they were thinking other than they just had nothing else to go on. 
I think they had nothing else to go on. And they kept trying. They sent so many press releases only about those two things. And I think that was also, if you wanted to attack Walker on his controversies, you probably had a list of a dozen different controversies you could pull from. Oh, for sure. Walker only had two. It, it 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 does amaze me that that these people came 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 as close as they did. Um, but Reverend Warnock's victory, I think, is a there are a lot of things in that in that win that are a model for for Democrats nationally. Before, because I at the very top of the show, you said, "How did it get so close?" And I feel like I never answered that question. So I want to close on that. Georgia being a swing state means that, and elections being so partisan. We got Rick Wilson partially to thank for that. Thank you Here very I am. much. I'm doing my penance, <laughs> Tia. <laughs> he is. Um, but I like to remind him of that. Um, but national elections being so partisan, in a swing state like Georgia, a major party candidate's floor is about 45%. That's right. Barring like... They got a, what was the guy that Doug Jones beat that like was raping young children? Uh, that was a Roy that, Moore. Yes, Roy. you got to be Roy Moore to to get below 45%. Mm-hmm. And especially somebody like Herschel Walker, who's a literal Georgia hero, sure. right? Maybe his, his reputation's tarnished because of this Senate campaign, but a Georgia hero. His floor was 45%, but to win, you got to get to 50 So that's the margin we're talking about. And that's why it was always going to be close. Ironically, the final result was roughly 51% Mm -hmm. to 49%, which is now the Senate is 51 to 49. (laughs) Warnock's campaign has been calling that kind of like some divine poetry (laughs) at the end. But it was always going to be close no matter what. I know that frustrates people because you're like, why? But there were so many Republicans we talked to that, fell into two camps, both pro-Walker. There was one pro-Walker camp that was like, we love him, he's a hero, we think he's great, we love what he says on the stump. All the controversies are lies and and just exaggerations by his opposition. But then there was the other pro-Walker camp that was like, we don't love him, got some concerns about him, but I want a Republican in that seat. We want to keep Joe Biden from carrying out his agenda in Washington. Walker's the candidate we have. Walker's the candidate I'm going to vote for. And that was enough to get him to 49%. I think that is, I think that's exactly uh, where it ended up and why it did. Well, Tia Mitchell, I know you've got to go, but I want to thank you so very much for uh, coming on the enemies list today. And uh, if you were ever in Tallahassee, you are welcome to come back and, uh, and, and have lunch or drinks on the porch as always. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you, Tia. Thank you, Rick. Well, folks, I had a small rant today. And I'm going to be a little bit elliptical about it because you know the story I'm talking about. You've all heard the story I'm talking about, but I'm not going to use the names. A U.S. senator's child uh, attempted to commit suicide. And it's a painful story. He's not a nice person, not a good person, not a person I like. But let me tell you something. There were an awful lot of people that were having fun with it. They were laughing about it. They were having a good time with it. And I, I know it's got, he's the most punchable face in, the, in America. He's a terrible human being. 
and he may have even the 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 problem may have even been because of who he is. I I don't know that answer. No one else does either. But this was a kid in trouble. This was a kid who needed help. This was a kid who tried to to, to commit suicide. And again, you you know you know who I'm talking about. You know who this person is, and you know it's a it's it's a it's a tragedy, and it's it's something that is deeply painful for people. I, I lost my best friend to suicide when I was a young man, and it broke his family, it broke us, his friends. It, it is something even when it's attempted, it causes a, a shattering inside a family, and even this person doesn't deserve that, and that child certainly doesn't deserve that. And and I I, I just want to say. And look, I fight as hard as any human being on social media. I have a low number of boundaries, but I have two. You don't go after kids who aren't who aren't in the process of politics directly. And when you've got a family tragedy like this, it ceases to be funny snark and it turns into a revelation about people uh, and their levels of cruelty and and fucking stop it. So folks, if you have a family member or you yourself are experiencing the kind of crisis that would lead to self-harm or suicide, please call 1-800-273-8255. That's 800-273-TALK. It's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It has saved lives. And I hope that you'll take this one seriously. I don't, there's no, there's zero snark in this, in this particular enemies list rant. I really mean it. It's something serious. Take it seriously. And even people you loathe and despise and who deserve to have their political asses kicked don't deserve to have their kids mocked in this kind of situation. So some of y'all may not like that tough shit. That's how it is. People who are having fun with this one, you are on the enemies list. Get your shit together. Thanks again for listening to The Enemies List. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at TheRickWilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times. Please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah. But you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list. Hola. 
¿Es tu hijo el que se atreve a treparse al árbol más alto? ¿El que siempre se arriesga a intentar cosas nuevas? Entonces, Capitanes del Futuro es para ti. Un programa gratuito de liderazgo para jóvenes hispanos patrocinado por la MLS y PNG. Inscríbelo ya en capitanesdelfuturo.org y haz de tu hijo un capitán. Recuerda, estamos hablando de nuestros hijos, del futuro de América.